Okay, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. You can go there or not. I'm probably going to ask that you don't follow along when I read in a little bit so that I can change the words. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I said that. That's really weird. Okay, so, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, but I wanted to start with giving a little bit of uh, kind of context for where I'm coming from for this passage and just uh, to the Bible in general. And so I'm going to tell a story I was... Um, part of a group a few weeks ago, and we were going to participate in something called Lexio Divina. If you're familiar, it, it, it stands for divine reading, or it means divine reading. And so, right, there's lots of ways we read the Bible um, for lots of reasons, for theological perspectives or historical or um, different types of sacred reading, and this would fall under that. And if you were at the women's retreat, we practiced this together last summer. Um, but it's, it's a way of reading where you um, read it and, and allow um, God to speak through you kind of in a more narrow way versus the whole story. You're like, what from this scripture is really God's word to me today? And so I'm in this group and looking forward to this sort of time of centering before we move into teaching. And um, the person leading us was going to read the story of Nicodemus, and which is a beautiful story. I think actually you referenced it last week, right? It's the part of it where it says, like, the wind blows where it chooses. It's this wonderful story. But the very first, uh, the way her translation started, it says, there was a man. And as soon as she said that, I was like, I'm done. I was just tired, you know, and tired of so many stories from the Bible starting that way, kind of. And I, you know, so you read it several times in Lexio. So she reads it once, and so I'm like, okay, I can get past this. I'm going to do the second time and listen and, and connect in this different way. And I just, I couldn't get it back. I couldn't come back because of, of the way that it, that it made me feel and the way I felt like excluded from the, the story and from so many stories in the Bible. And so, um, so that's kind of one piece, right? I think we all know people who are like, man, I just love the Bible so much. Um, and that's not me. It feels really complicated and I have a hard time a lot um, and even coming in today, sort of as Austin and I discussed, okay, what are we going to do in this sort of in-between time, between Advent and Lent? And the, the decision was just like, let's choose favorite stories, uh, mostly from the Gospels, but I think, or whatever. And even that, the word favorite, I felt so hung up on. I'm like, oh, okay. And so I just sort of freed myself from favorite and was reading, looking through the Gospels for things not in Matthew, since I've been in Matthew for a long time, and was looking for um, a story that I felt curious about, or that sparked imagination, or was interested in, and um, was pretty much only reading stories that included women, because um, why not? Because I can. There's not a rule for today. Um, and so I landed on um, uh, Luke 10, verses 13 through 17, which is the story my, my Bible says Jesus heals a crippled woman. And so you might be familiar. I was a little familiar, but not a ton familiar. <laughs> if you could be a ton, whatever. And so I'm going to read it through. We're going to kind of do like a mini Lexio. I'm going to read it aloud to you. And I don't want you to think about it too much, but just allow the story to, to kind of come alive to you in your imagination. And, and as you're listening, maybe if there's something that sticks out, kind of like tuck that away. And then I'll read it a second time and we'll... Um, look a little closer, so it's not that long. Okay, chapter 10, and, and you are welcome to follow along. That's where that came from earlier, but sometimes you can get hung up if we have different translations, or it's easy to get stuck, so. Um, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. He is Jesus. 
And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things he was doing. I'm going to read it through just one more time and give you a chance to kind of narrow in on what sticks out um, to you from that. I know it's a lot to be read to a lot, or whatever. Okay, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at the wonderful things that he was doing. If you'd like to say aloud just kind of what stuck out to you, not the reason behind, just kind of the idea or the image, um, I'll give a minute for that. Thought of that. Yeah. Okay. When I was reading, when I first chose this passage, I was like, oh, this is great. There's a group of us reading a book about Sabbath, and I thought that there would be um, kind of some, like nice tie-in for us, and, and it's something I'm, like, I'm interested in right now and thinking about a lot. And, um, but what I couldn't get away from is that Jesus says twice, He says to her, you are set free from your ailment. And then later he says um, again that that she was set free. And so I was thinking about that some and how in order to be set free, you have to be in bondage. You have to be tied up to something. Um, And so it made me think of, uh, actually it was a question that came during our 
our Sabbath study, but the question to first ask, what am I in bondage to? And um, as I was reading just like some commentary on this, I came across this um, from a theologian. Her name's Carolyn Sharp. She says, as preachers, we can urge hearers to encounter Jesus in his hearings and teachings as the embodiment of radical good news for the poor, release for the captives, and emancipation for the oppressed. The embodiment of radical good news for the poor, release for the captives, and emancipation for the oppressed. And so we're going to kind of talk about a couple different types of bondage, or a couple different areas of bondage today, I guess. Um, we're going to talk about a more collective type of bondage that the church, I think, experiences, like not just us, but what Rob says, the big C church, right? The, 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 the global church, Christians. Um, and then we're also going to talk kind of like personally what that means for us um, to be in bondage and to, to release from that. And so um, there's a lot of directions we could go, right? The collective bondage. There's a lot of groups um, that are very marginalized in the church and have not been given a voice even when their voice is like really needed, right? Because that, that's what's beautiful about um, people being different is that we bring different voices. Um, but today we're going to kind of focus on um, women and women not being given a voice because our story is beautiful about a woman who um, was freed from bondage. And so, um, yeah, we're going to talk a little, I'm going to share a little of my story, which a lot of you know um, parts of this, but it just feels important. And I think a lot of y'all will connect to pieces of this. But um, I didn't grow up in a church where I saw women in leadership really at all. I don't know if a lot of you maybe experienced that too. And so I didn't really think about it as like an issue or a thing. Like I didn't notice, I think is probably the right way to say that really, until um, I was older. And there were women who were like the kids minister or um, we had a, a women's minister, not pastor for a long time. Um, some of those kind of roles. Um, but no women pastors, definitely not the language of pastor. It's not something I grew up with. And so I kind of had that piece that I was holding, right, as a kid. And then I had this other experience as a teenager or my whole life where I think spirituality and relationship with God was taught in a really linear way. And so it was sort of like how you got to know God was by like each thing you did brought you closer. So you're like going on mission trip, did it, you know, or camp or... Um, having a quiet time, and right, like all those things, you sort of um, were just sort of this path where you were doing each thing. And so then if you're a kid who is, you know, completely grown up in church, who doesn't really have a choice to be there every week, your dad's minister, you're like, have all these things, you're like, okay, I'm 16, done it, what's next? And so what's next is you accept a call to the ministry. And that is what kids in my youth group did, right? So it's like you kind of get to this point where you're like, well, something has to be next. I've had all these other, you know, experiences, done all these other things. And so... So what happened, so I do, and, and lots of people I know had that experience too as like a high school youth group kid. Um, and so I accept this call, but then I'm like, well, what is it that I'm even called to specifically? You know, so there's sort of that discernment time, you're thinking about it. And what I began to see in that time was this first like kind of idea of a box around me, that there was only some things I could do. And I didn't see my gifts really fitting with when I, what I saw women's ministry to look like at my church. I didn't feel like kids was really the right thing either. Um, I like kids, but maybe not. And, and, you know, that didn't feel the right thing. And so that box kind of came around me. And then, um, you know, it's like maybe missions, because that sounds exciting, right? Like, I want to go places. Been in Texas a long time, right? So there was just sort of that exploration, but nothing really um, settled as the right thing. And then 
Um, same thing. I finished school and thinking, okay, I'm going to go to seminary. And sort of the seminaries that felt open or like the ones I thought were the right place to go, again, it was like, none of this sounds like what I'm gifted to do. You know, I just didn't see a place for myself. And really around that time, a lot of things broke down for me. So it wasn't just that I was realizing maybe I was called to um, leadership in a different way than I felt allowed to be, but there were a lot of things. And so what happened, I was like, okay, I'll just not do any of this, you know, and just kind of stepped out of, of the um, church space for a while. And I think even like in, pre- oh, did I, I feel like there was more I was going to say. I guess, yeah, so then, and then, right, y'all know the story, so then like Brian gets the job with uh, ANC, and I start coming, and then like slowly, here I am, <laughs> go pastor. <laughs> so, you know, sort of the slow thing. But I think even here in our church where we, I think, collectively really value women's voices, um, I've been pastor two and a half years and still haven't really taught on this kind of thing. You know, even when I think 2016, when I became an elder at that point, I think I, there's only one other woman before me that had been an elder. And she didn't even get to do her full two years, she moved. Maybe there was one more, but I think it was just one. And so it just, it's, it's like, even in a church who prizes it and, and wants that, it takes so much time to get to each thing, you know? And so, anyway, so that's, that's kind of that, like, all these pieces of my story and what is bringing the conversation here today. And so I want to give a minute before I move on to give space to women today here that I kind of like the language that, right, sometimes you're taught something as a kid and sometimes you're, sometimes it's caught. I really like that, right? So, like, I actually don't remember a lot of sermons that were like, women can't preach. I didn't really remember that as a kid, but certainly I never saw one. Or it was like she was giving a testimony, she wasn't preaching, right? Like, there were always sort of their languages. And so, this doesn't have to go on long, but I think it's important for all of us to, to hear things that we were taught that were harmful, and not just harmful to us individually as women, but to us as a church now, to us as like a a global church, all of those things. So if there are any women who want to add to, you know, my experience with their own, I'll leave a little time for that now. It's also okay. That's a good. I had presidential aspirations as well.
Ja. Thank you for sharing. Okay, we'll go back to the text now. So, because I think, you know, like if in whatever, 1995, when I was worried about like my tank top being thick enough, like if that stuff was going on then, certainly um, the time of our story, there was. A lot, a lot going on. And so, um, yeah, I want to go, you know, back to the synagogue, back to Jesus. Um, and I'm going to read it again. And this will be the last time I'm going to read it. <laughs> I know it's a lot, but I'm going to read it again. And this time I want you to notice. just want you to notice um, how Jesus is with this woman and in this space. And how, I'll just spoil it, right? Like how he honors her and hears her and sees her. Um, and then we'll talk a little, a little about that. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame. And the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things he was doing. I know we're talking a lot, but it's, it's kind of nice today. Y'all are talking. So if anyone wants to just say what they noticed, like what, how Jesus was in the story, I can also tell you what I noticed. So. Yeah. Right, like a lot of stories, people are like climbing trees or tugging on his robe, right? But like he saw her, yeah. I noticed that he touched her, it says that he touches her, which is probably not something that was really allowed or normal, right? It's not, her fam- it's not his family. Um. I thought, too, about her being in full view, right? Like, this was at the synagogue, like, in front of people. It wasn't, like, on a street away from, um, right? And enough for, like, people to say, like, no, you're not supposed to do this. So, like, in full view, not hidden. I kind of, like, allowed my imagination to see Jesus, right? Like, the scripture says she's bent over. That Jesus, like, bends over to look at her, to be sure that she knows that she is seen. It's beautiful. Um, some translation says that he calls her dear woman, or a dear woman, which is beautiful. And then um, the big one, right? He says he calls her a daughter of Abraham. And so from best I understand from what I read, that like, that's not happening at all. Like, that's not something that's being said at all. And so in that, he uh, gives her a place to stand alongside the sons, right? She's part of the family. It's not just, um, yeah, it's, it's a big deal. Um, and so I, I think... 
you know, this kind of first part felt like, oh, this came together easy. I, like, loved the, this passage, and the more I read it, and I think I was realizing I was getting to kind of this point, and I was like, okay, this has to be the thing where I'm like, I don't know, mic drop or whatever, like, yeah, you know, and I think that's good, right? Like, I felt that kind of combined with this pressure to say, like, everything I ever need to say about this topic right now, um, to somehow, like Melissa was saying, like, bring in the, all the things about Paul, and it's like, well, this is what we don't hear correct from our Western view, and I don't know, it's like, I don't know, there was something I wanted, thought maybe I could say there, but I think that it's kind of like we were saying earlier, that caught and taught thing, right? That it's, it's the showing, it's the seeing of Jesus is more important than what I can tell you. Like, we can see how Jesus treated this woman who was not even, like, not like some important person either. Like, she certainly was not treated well by the community. Um, and so, I guess to say that it's, it is my belief that part of, like we talked about last week, like God's dream for the church is for um, women to be given a voice and to be equal and to be allowed in all the spaces, that there's no, no separation in any of that. Um, the theologian I love, her name is Carolyn Curtis James, she says this, when half the church holds back, whether by choice or because we have no choice, everybody loses and our mission suffers setbacks. And it's something, you know, the elder board talks of some. It's like, we have so many men here willing to teach, but so few women that are interested in teaching. And I think a huge part of that is, it is their choice, right? Like, it is a choice, certainly, to say no. But I think also is that we haven't seen women preach and that we haven't experienced that. And so, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's that thing. It's like that our church small is losing out when there are not more women voices, but the church as a whole is too. Um. Anyway, so there's so much to say, but I think for today, it is enough for us to just say that Jesus freed this woman um, from her oppression. He released her as a captive. And he healed her. Um, he gave her the opportunity to no longer be bent over with shame and pain or the weight of who she was told that she was. Um, but she was able to stand tall. And when she did, what happens at the end of the story? It's wonderful. It's like everyone was rejoicing. <laughs> it's like such a beautiful image to think that it's like this woman was healed and people were thrilled. They were so thrilled. And so I think what I wear, this kind of takes us, and it sounds so cheesy to say, but it's like that this woman was freed from her bondage, right? Like, and so we could say like, Jesus can do that for you too. And I really believe it, as cheesy as it sounds. And I almost like a hundred times like, I can't say that. But I think that's what the, this is trying to tell us in this, is that like, that we can say, what are we in bondage to? What are we tied to? That image of the donkey being untied and led from the manger to water, even on the Sabbath, right? Even when you shouldn't or something. That Jesus is willing to do that for this woman. And so it might be that part of your bondage is the narratives that you were told um, or caught about women. And I don't think you have to identify as a woman for that to be your bondage, certainly. I think that, that all of us in this room have that um, from the culture that we're in. But I don't think it, it's not, maybe it's not just that. It might be something different, right? I've been talking about in sa our Sabbath group. It could be productivity or a, an image or perfectionism, um, our past, right? But the invitation here is freedom. And so it might not look like Jesus, like, bending over and looking you in the eye and saying, um, woman, you are set free, but it might, you know, I guess that's a possibility. But it also just might look like, right, the everyday stuff. 
therapy and hard conversations and prayer and time and, and, and believing that you can be set free. And so I want to end with a couple quotes that were really meaningful to me. Um, and the first one, my beautiful spiritual director, um, Janet, uh, wrote this in a book. She says, the story, and she's talking about our story today, this story is not about correcting bad behavior, but a deeper compassion that initiates an abundant freedom that heals and empowers. Jesus did not fix her, he freed her. It's beautiful. And the last thing I want to read to you, so when, it's been almost 10 years now since this book came out, but there's a book that's really important to me that's called Jesus Feminist. It was the first book I read that sort of gave ideas and sort of like backup to, to what I had been hoping could be true for women. And I just want to read this almost like a prayer um, over all of us, um, but especially to the women in the room. And this is what Sarah Bessie writes. Here is very simply what I have learned about Jesus and women. He loves us. He loves us. On our own terms, he treats us as equal to the men around him. He listens. He does not belittle. He honors us. He challenges us. He teaches us. He includes us. Calls us all beloved. What a good way to enter into communion um, together because here at Church at East, um, everyone is welcome to the table. And if you're bondage, if you are tied to the things we talk about today and that's hard for you and you don't want to hear it and, and you hated it today, the communion table is open. I won't keep you from it. Um, but if it's something else too, it's open to you too, right? If, like... Um, like Sarah was offering about her friend earlier, right? Like, if you're like, I don't even know if I believe any of this, the table is still open to you. That's the beauty of it. We, I love the image all the time, even if it is disciples at the table, men at the table. But, right, there's like all these things happening at the people at that table, like all of that that's going on, and Jesus is still like, yes, take, eat. It's for you. And so we're going to join together maybe in a liturgy that I don't have respond, or don't have memorized, and then we'll take communion. So if you are visiting, the little packets in front of us, or in the front, is gluten-free, and then don't eat the other one, it is glutened. And then um, we'll sing two songs together. I think Drew will be over here, I'll be somewhere. If you want someone to pray with you, or over you, or hug you, um, we are around. And I think that's all the announcements about the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you.